Hey there and welcome back to this week's episode of Elevated Office. My name is Eric McGrew and this is episode two of season one. I want to thank you for stopping by and this week I have a podcast set up for you that I think you'll find interesting. We're going to talk about the tool of the week, which is the Silky Zubat, the pros and cons of that saw. We're going to go into tree service tip. First things first, that's for those of you who are looking at getting your own small tree service company set up. And then on the special topic side, we're going to talk about, do you even climb, bro? And then we'll have some concluding comments. So hang in there and let's get started. I'm sure most of you out there, if you've been around tree service work any length of time, have already heard about silky saws. Are they the only saw on the market? No, of course they're not. Are they the best saw on the market? Well, that really depends on who you talk to and different preferences and different experiences and and even to some degree the kind of tree service work you do. Maybe the kind of trees you cut regularly or trim, that kind of stuff. So I don't want to sit here and say this is the one and only saw for anybody out there, that's for sure. I have worked over the years with different kinds of saws. I've worked with everything from, you know, um, traditional box store saws all the way up to now the silky saws. And I will say that if you've been um, using a pruning saw of some sort from a big home improvement box store or something, any professional saw is going to be a huge um, upgrade for sure. Uh, there's a number of different saws out there that are, are beneficial to, to consider. So I just want to make that disclaimer up front. Now, in particular, I like the Silky Zubat saw a lot. Um, I have it in two different tooth grades or the, um, I don't even know what you would call that. Uh, I have a extra large teeth saw and they're two different teeth per inch settings or not settings, but makes of it that I own. And that's a whole different topic because within that, I I don't really know which tooth range I prefer. I think they both cut really, really well. I mean, of course, the more teeth per inch you have, the better it seems to work for like dead wood and that kind of stuff. Whereas a little bit more aggressive teeth, uh, fewer teeth per inch and a little bit bigger seem to work really good for bigger uh, green limbs. And and that seems to be, you know, what you might want to use it for. Now, of course, these saws, they're, they're going to have their limits. You're not going to want to try to cut through like an eight inch limb with them at, to any degree. But, you know, I don't have a problem pulling out a silky saw, the Zubat, and starting to hand cut three inch or smaller depending on the circumstance or situation especially if it's like the difference between me being able to use a a um, top handle saw or a chainsaw two-handed versus having to try to manage it one-handed so a lot of times if i can't do a, a cut with two hands on the chainsaw i'll leave it hooked to my saddle and i will grab the silky saw and I will, you know, take off a three inch or less limb with that. Now it is going to take more time. The bigger you get, of course, like a three inch limb might take a little bit of time, but, um, a bit of that I found is just mindset. 
So I changed my mind on it. So instead of saying, oh, well, I could get through this really fast with my chainsaw one-handed, I I would rather do it with the silky saw because my mindset now is I, it's going to be a safe cut. I'm not going to put myself or anybody around me in potential danger of kickback from the saw or dropping of the saw. And on top of that, it's extra exercise for me. So it's just keeping me in better shape for the work that I'm doing and, and trying to keep that as a long-term goal of me being in the tree service industry because then I'm in shape and I can do it for a longer period of time. Now, that being said, you know, you have to be willing to have those kind of mindsets, but no matter how big you choose to go or not, the fact of the matter is, is that these saws are pretty impressive. And once again, you should look at the whole line of Silky. They have a huge range of saws available for all kinds of different varieties. Um, one of the biggest cons to any of these professional grade saws is just the price of them. They're not extremely expensive by any means, but you know, when you're spending close to a hundred bucks for a saw, it's not cheap. And, um, you have to kind of just accept that as part of the cost. So you want to make sure that you're, you know, charging enough for your jobs to be able to afford quality equipment as well. And not just trying to, um, run on a super low estimate on all your jobs, a bid just to win the job and, and be struggling through with these hard thing, you know, tools that are always failing on you or not working very well. So yeah, they're a bit pricey. Um, not nearly as pricey as some, but they are pricey. And so that's one, that's one con for sure. But the, the pros just outweigh this saw, um, on this saw way more than the cons. So a number of the pros are the following. Um, the silky has it build as some kind of coating on the the blade and the teeth that's supposed to be you know pulse hardened or whatever and each each brand has their own thing that they classify as being better that's supposed to resist pitch and uh, you know resin and and keep them cleaner longer um it does fairly well but still you cut enough pine cedar uh juniper um, you know, anything resinous like that. And eventually you're going to get pitch on it. I get, I get pitching. I mean, I get build up on it just from cutting through wet elm. Uh, cause around here, a lot of the elms grow near, uh, the irrigation canals. And when you cut through an elm, it just like runs water like a faucet. So it does build up even with that a little bit too. Not nearly as bad as like pitch from a pine or, you know, like the pinions or ponderosas that I cut or cedars or whatever around here. But that's something to keep in mind. There's no saw out there that's not going to to have or there's no saw out on the market that I know of that's going to resist pitch and resin 100%. So don't don't go on the hype. Um, some do better. Silky does pretty well, but it's not it's not going to resist it 100%. So just keep that in mind. Now, the true pros and cons of this saw that I found are one, the saw itself can be used in a few different applications. Well, a couple of applications that I know of one, it can be used as a handsaw and the same shank and 
saw can be attached to a silky Zubat pole saw if you own one. And, and I'll do a review on that in the future, but that's something to keep in mind. So it has a dual function and there's no modification to it required. It works really well. And, and so that's a benefit and, and we'll go over that more in the future. As I mentioned, another pro to this saw is just how comfortable the handle is. So I have a large hand, not an extremely large hand, but a large hand and the handle fits like perfect. I never feel like my hand is trying to pull off the handle even when the saw starts to get stuck. It never feels like it's coming out of my hand. And the handle is like a soft rubber that is super grippy and I was worried at first that with sawdust and you know just dirt and stuff from the ambience of how we work in the tree industry that saw handle would get less grippy but that's not been the case so far it has a a, a solid comfortable feel and it is extremely grippy another thing is that you can actually buy just the handle um pieces and remount them to the blade if the blade is in good condition but for some reason the handles get worn out this can occur um, for me it's because i wear my uh, silky saw on a scabbard on my leg and the um, chainsaw hangs and the blade the chain blade it's not a blade it's a chain the chain scrapes against the handle of the the silky saw even when it's in the scabbard and it starts to nick it up and stuff so eventually it will get it will need to be replaced for me and you know as i'm climbing the the handle rubs on rough aggressive bark and such on so that's a that's something to keep in mind as well um but you can buy just the handle pieces and they're not extremely expensive which is nice the other thing is, is that the blades are regularly available through main um, tree service companies without much effort to find them. The, the only complaint I have isn't really with Silky, but the distributors. It's, it's a difficult challenge sometimes to find not the length that you want, but what tooth size and how many teeth per inch they're actually selling. They don't do a good job of describing what blade you're actually buying. So sometimes I have to call in and then sometimes they don't even know then. So that's kind of a downside, but I don't know that that's really Silky's issue. And it's definitely not the Saul's fault. It's just the distributor's fault. Um, but that's a minor thing. You can work through it and you can find what you need. Another pro to this saw in, with the Zubat is that at the little end of the saw blade there's a little nub that helps keep you from pulling all the way through easily it's not that you can't pull all the way through it's not a hook but it's definitely a little nub that kind of tells you hey you've reached the end of the tooth um the end of the teeth and now the saw kind of hangs up a little bit so that you don't accidentally when you're fully extended like when i'm out trying to reach into the very tips of the canopy um, I might be laying sideways or upside down sometimes and I'm cutting on a limb and just the last three inches of the saw are working on a half inch or an inch diameter limb. And that nub tells me, whoa, stop there. And it does a good enough job that I hardly ever pull all the way through, which makes it easier to, to continue to cut because then I don't have to accidentally pull all the way through, lose my balance, and then try to find the kerf again that I was cutting in. So that's a nice little feature. And then the saw has a nice 
curve to it, but it's not too aggressive. So when I'm cutting with it, I, it's natural motion for sure. And it's curved enough that it keeps a constant pressure so that it's actually cutting and not coming out of the kerf easily while not being too aggressive and like putting a ton of resistance on it for me. Um, so I really, really like that. Now that same curve of the blade does make it a bit awkward for me when I'm doing a whole bunch of undercut curving. Um, when I'm, when I'm doing snap cuts or anything like that for a three point cut, you know, for pruning, um, that undercut can be a bit awkward in the hand, but honestly, that's like one third of the time that I have to do that. And they're very shallow cuts typically. So it's not a big deal. Most of my time is spent either vertically cutting or horizontally from up or down. And I don't have the saw turned upside down in my hand. So that little inconvenience isn't a big issue to me. Another thing that I really like is the design of the teeth. The kerf is wide enough that it allows the spine of the saw to go through as you're cutting without trapping it or pinching it real easily. But at the same time, it's not so thick that you're fighting a ton of resistance and taking out chunks of, you know, the the wood at the same time. So they, they really have thought that out pretty well. And... um. I really do like using the saw a ton. Now, a couple of the, um... Stay with us. We'll be right back. You love listening to podcasts, but have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Maybe you want to build a brand, grow your business, or are looking for an excuse to talk about your favorite hobby. Whatever your reason for making a podcast, Buzzsprout is the place to start. Since 2009, Buzzsprout has helped over 300,000 people launch their own podcasts. Buzzsprout walks you step-by-step -step through the whole process and will give you powerful tools to start, grow, and monetize your podcast. Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step -step guide to starting your podcast today. Downsides to the saw itself, the cons, I guess, is that the the saw is really sharp and I have cut myself a number of times with it. I do know that that's not just a silky thing. Any professional saw that's well sharpened and designed well to cut quickly, if you make a, a pull too fast, it can come through and cut your leg or your hands. And I have done both of those. So um, that's frustrating, but it's not really the saw's fault as much as operator error. But you have to keep that in mind for sure. And the other thing that is a dislike of mine to some degree is while I like the spine and blade thickness when I'm in a tight spot and I need to bend the blade at a slight curve and I can still pull it through to cut, um, that same ability because it is thin, when I push the saw forward sometimes and it does have a little bit of resistance, it tends to, if I get too close to the tip of the saw, It'll bend the saw, um, not like bend it where it stays in shape bent, but it makes it hard to push the blade back through the kerf. So I have to pull it out of the kerf, put my saw further in, and then set it back down in the kerf because the spine and the blade are so thin that it can flex easily. Um, so that's kind of a downside to it to me, but it's not the end of the world, honestly. Um, the, the pros far, far, far outweigh the cons of that saw. And um, 
you know, that's something that I, I definitely like. So brief rehash of the saw itself. The cons are that it, it will cut you easily if you're not careful and that the blade can be fle- is so flexible that if it gets a little pinched, it wants to flex versus push the blade back through. But the pros are that it's a reasonably priced saw, even though it's a little pricey. It's really ergonomically designed. The handle is super comfortable. The handle is replaceable. You can buy replacement blades for a fairly cheap price on their own. And the design of it allows um, constant pressure in your cuts for the most part that are easy to use and make it a well-balanced saw to use. Um, It has a little hook nub on the front of the saw so that you don't pull through easily and it's oh lightweight um, relatively speaking so it's a good saw in that sense now beyond the saw when you buy the saw brand new as a whole unit you get a scabbard with it if you choose that version of it and this scabbard is really really well designed Um, it's solid enough that it's not going to break easily i have crushed it between uh, tree limbs and all kinds of stuff i've i've actually stepped on it by accident on the ground when I was trying to get, you know, equipment organized and things like that. And it's very, very resilient, but it's not too heavy either. It's not bulky. It has well-placed strap uh, mounts for like leg straps and things. And it's just a good, good scabbard. Plus at the top of the scabbard, there are these pressure rollers that allow you to put the saw in easily and quickly and they pressure on, they fit snugly around the handle and it doesn't let the saw fall out when you're upside down or when you're um, pull you know crawling or climbing through uh, suckers or brush or whatever up in the canopy and that kind of stuff um, another thing about it is is even if the saw does pop out of those little pressure rollers at the very top the way the scabbard and the saw are designed it may flop around a little bit, but it doesn't easily fall out of the scabbard. It is possible to fall out, but it doesn't do it easily. So that's something that I like to keep in mind as well and I use as a pro on this saw. And then um, the bottom of the scabbard or the sheath, whatever you want to call it, has a hole in the bottom that allows debris, water, and dirt to to fall through so sawdust falls through so i can put the saw right back in and it doesn't get all built up in there very easily and it doesn't keep the saw from seating in there like it should so this thing you know for 80 dollars or 90 dollars or whatever it is um i don't even remember i've seen prices all over the board totally worth an uh, at least a, a chance in my opinion um and you know you can decide if it's the saw for you or not there are certain silky saws that are designed for certain specific purposes so before you just run out and buy a a zubat make sure you do some research and check it out but i'm so impressed with the the zubat that i would say probably give any of the silky saws a a chance even though i haven't used most of them and um i don't think you'll be disappointed so hope that you guys are you know your guys are finding this information beneficial for you and i hope that that review kind of helps you make a decision on the next product that you're looking at buying for a handsaw
You guys may not know this, but I had a podcast in the past, and it was a fun thing to do, but it was a challenge to get my podcast to all the locations where everybody listened to podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and the such were just a lot of work to manage to get everything where it needed to be. Now, though, I found Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. Best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now Anchor can match you with great sponsors too so that you can get paid to podcast. How awesome is that? Honestly, I'm really happy to find Anchor again because I love podcasting. I love talking about what I do and sharing with you all the things that I like to do as well. So if you're interested in starting a podcast like I am, go to anchor.fm slash start. That's anchor.fm slash start and join today for your free podcast and become part of the community. I can't wait to hear what you put out on anchor.fm slash start. This week for First Things First, we are going to be talking about getting your small tree service business set up. And there is a bunch that goes into this. And so I don't mean for this to be a guide to to doing it step by step and this is all you have to do. It's just an, a guide of what I figured out and what's helping me and it might help you guys as well. If you guys have any input on this, please let me know. Leave me a voice recording and I'll include them in the podcast in the future. And we can, you know, make this a better community in that sense. So something that I think a lot of um, tree climbers or tree service professionals need to consider, and I wish I had really understood this when I started eight months ago, was trying to kind of figure out what sector you wanted to be in in tree service. So um, just to give you a broad view of the sector, there's there's kind of three sectors that I, I know of as a main topic here where where I live and that I've seen online as well. Um, it's It's funny because when I think of tree service, I think of a one-stop shop for everything, and that can be the case. But so that would be one category, uh, a do it all tree service company. But there's also tree service companies that specialize in removals. Um, And I know a few guys around here locally that that's pretty much all they do. And they are pretty busy just doing removals only. So that would be another sector that you might want to consider. And then there is if you want to, if you're a climber, if you want to subcontract out to um, other tree service companies when they need extra work as a climber, or if you're an experienced bucket operator, you can do that. Um, some guys are, you know, they're say they subcontract out for groundsman work because they have experience rigging. So you don't have to have like a full on company yourself and own e- all this, you know, equipment with you know bucket trucks and all that kind of stuff sometimes you just need to have the skills and market yourself the right way and you can actually start your own company as a subcontract to these companies doing these things because you know there's always difficult jobs or jobs where they need extra crewmen that they're willing to pay for and they need somebody they can trust and rely on 
So those are a couple of segments of, of the tree industry. And then out here where I live, fire mitigation is a big deal. And there are some companies that don't do anything but fire mitigating. And that can go everywhere from owning, you know, big track loaders with the mulcher heads on them or um, skid steer, uh, skid steers, yeah, or heisters or uh, track hose that are set up that way or whatever. Um, that's something to keep in mind as well. It might be an option you want to get into. And then it can be as simple as guys having a crew that go out and trim out the bottom of these um, forests and, and stuff and do some clear cutting by hand if you charge the right price and you have the right equipment. You might just need a, a pickup basically and a chipper and some chainsaws and guys that are willing to work hard. Um, so, you know, you have a do-it-all service, contract climber, contract bucket operator, um, even contract groundsmen I've heard of out here that are kind of sought after. You usually don't make as much money, but it's possible to make a decent living that way. And, you know, then you have the um, fire mitigation work, of course. And, you know, those are just a few segments of the industry that I know of personally out here that people are doing. And then there's, you can even niche those down, only residential, only commercial or whatever. And I know a couple of guys that do tree service work and they pretty much do 90% um, commercial and pretty much the only residential they do is with the owners or employees of businesses that they meet as they're doing this commercial work. So when you're getting started in, in tree work, definitely considering what it is that you want to focus on is a good idea. It can save you a lot of money in the long run because you're not wasting money on equipment you never end up using or didn't really want to use to begin with. Um, it can save you a lot of heartache and frustration of trying to do things that you don't feel comfortable with and making mistakes. And then it can also save you a lot of um, frustration and not having to look as hard for work. If you go out for, uh, for instance, a subcontract job as a climber and you're focusing on that and you're experienced enough, then you can, you know, sell to the companies that are already making good money and have clients built up and are already finding work. And then they can call you in and you can get a decent paycheck from time to time just doing that instead of you having to go out there and find the um, in client that can be a challenge at times and, and be a bit frustrating. So um, first things first for your business is niche down to a certain degree how you want to really focus your times and your time and efforts on being a tree service professional. And then once you figure that out, you can go on to the, the next portion, which will help you spend less money in the end and getting started and help you have a better and quicker return. Um, so, you know, just a few thoughts to keep in mind. If you guys are even already in tree service and wanting to refine your business a little bit, or if you're thinking about quit working for a company and get into tree service on your own. Do you even climb, bro? It's, you know, it's kind of like an age old question of, do you actually do it or not? And, and that's a, that's a good question because 
what I'm finding out for myself is that if I don't climb enough, I don't climb efficiently, and if I don't climb efficiently, I'm not profitable. And that's a challenge for sure. Um, if you are climbing, you may be getting by, but you may not be getting better if you're only doing it when a job comes available. And that's a challenge that I run into um, working subcontract some or even for my own job some. Sometimes I'm in such a rush to get a job done. I I go the simple way and I don't mean to discourage bucket use. I don't have anything against using a bucket. There are times where that's just an efficient way to go and it's easy in a lot of ways. But bucket work has a lot of challenges to it as well. Um, so it's not like... I don't really believe that bucket work is the simple way out. I just think it's a different, modern, and efficient way to do certain things. But it seems that if I get in the bucket too long, I lose focus of how to view a tree from inside the tree. And now this is coming from only eight months perspective of of climbing. So I... Once again, I want to make that very, very obvious to you guys. I'm not trying to talk as a professional here. I'm just expressing what it is that I feel. Um, I do feel like I lose a little bit of connectivity with the tree when I am in the bucket where I may not have made certain cuts climbing. I make them in the bucket or maybe if I was climbing, I would have made certain cuts and, and now in the bucket, I don't. But what I do notice is that Mentally and physically, the more I'm in the bucket and the less I'm in the tree, the less efficient I am climbing. Um, there's muscle memory that goes along with it. And there is learning how to read nuances of the tree. Because bucket or climbing, when you're in the tree, you're so close to it. It's hard to see certain things that you see from an outside perspective. And the more you practice one discipline like climbing, I find the better I can envision standing on the ground or in the bucket looking at the tree from the outside while in the tree and I can make better decisions. But when I'm in the bucket and then I'm in the tree climbing and I'm in the bucket for a long time for weeks or whatever and then in the tree climbing, I, I kind of lose that ability a little bit more. Maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm just talking about a topic that is nonsensical to you guys if so i apologize um that's not the important uh, that's not the intention here but I, I find that the more i climb the more i do it naturally and the more i can focus on my actual cutting and trimming for the health of the tree in a safe way for myself and for the tree um for the people around me i i tend to focus less on my climbing movements because they're more intuitive and I can look more as to who's on the ground below me. Is there a pedestrian walking by even though I have signs and cones up? Is my groundsman checking to make sure that all the equipment's moved out from under me or that nobody is walking under me? Or did the neighbor's dog or the client's dog decide to come out and pee on the tree while I'm you know, up in the tree and am I about to drop a huge limb on it? Because honestly, some clients, I'm pretty sure you could maim one of their family members and it'd be less important to them than their dog. So, you know, it's, it is what it is. You've got to, you've got to kind of keep focus on all these things is what I'm learning. And the more I climb, the more I 
have the tendency to focus on that stuff. So do I give up bucket work for climbing? Well, that's a challenge too, because especially if you have like spring and summer comes crunch time a lot of times and you might have more work than you can really do to some degree. So do you give up the work knowing that late fall, winter is probably going to be a little bit slower and, and, and do you, you know, or do you just get a bucket and get out of the tree climbing and use a bucket? Well, that's each individual person's decision, of course. But um, I've found that what I try to do is when I have slow periods of work or um, when I have done jobs in buckets to get them done quickly for my my contractor or the client, depending on what's going on. Because I have some contractors that um, just prefer me to be in a bucket, and that's fine. Uh I try to climb anyway, though. I try to make time on the weekends or after work to go out and try to climb, you know, a, a couple of times a week or something like that. And I don't really trim trees all the time because sometimes they're not my trees or whatnot and they don't need to be trimmed. But I try to imagine and act as if I am trimming a tree. How would I get to that limb, you know, or how would I get to that area in the canopy? Or if I see a tree that's on a neighbor's property and I can get up there and take out a little bit of dead for them and it, lo- it allows me to practice, then I, I look at what I can do to keep my practice going. Now, that being said, for me, it's really important because I'm new to climbing, um, tree climbing for this kind of thing. I've only been climbing for eight months once again and so I need all the practice I can get, but I I noticed that even like my friends that I do know that climb, the less they climb, the more they, they think about how to get to something in a bucket and the harder it is for them when they have to get into the tree to figure it out in the most efficient way. It's just because your mind doesn't work that way that much. So if I'm going to climb, I want to climb regularly enough to where I don't lose that mindset and I'm thinking about how each kind of tree I climb regularly out here where I'm at will be effectively attacked so that it's healthy for the tree it's safe for me and it's efficient for the money being spent by the client Um, so honestly right now when I climb most of my jobs are bid on a flat bid they're not bid by day or hour because I know with eight months of climbing, I'm just slow, but I work my schedule and I arrange my workers out to where my money is spent the most efficient way possible. And I can do this and keep my practice up without going broke is the idea. And so far it's working for me. I'm actually making some money and I can keep moving forward in my progression. Um, you know, I, I, I'm 37 years old so I have to work a little bit harder to get into shape and to have the muscle memory and things that I need and want now over when I was maybe in my late teens or early 20s. So I, I realize that and that just means I have to put more mental and physical effort into it um, and make it happen. It's just part of it. And, and that's okay. It, it, you, I just, it's like anything, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. And if you want to do it well, you have to be dedicated to it to a degree. So, you know, yeah. Do you even climb? Well, I would hope so. 
the the challenges finding out how to balance your training climbing with real life experience and and making money right so that's always the challenge but hopefully in the in in episodes coming up in the future we'll talk about a little bit about what i'm figuring out to do with that and then you'll hear me talk about things that have worked but then i said oh well that was working for a while something happened it's not working any longer or i found a better way of doing it so you know that that's just part of this whole process and and i hope that once again i can i can help you out to a degree so you know, please let me know what you do about your climbing training and that kind of stuff to keep you progressive, especially if you're with a company where you don't get to climb as much as you'd like and, and you're stuck in a bucket a bit. Let me know what you do to keep your, your climbing skills up. I would be interested to know for my own benefit as well. So, you know, that's just kind of how it goes. And we'll keep talking about this as we go on. So I want to thank you guys for stopping by listening to the podcast this week. I appreciate all the um, listens. I, I hope that it's beneficial for you guys. I hope that my reviews and things are balanced and, and help you see to the best degree possible what I find is true benefits, pros and cons of a product. Also, hope that you're finding the um, first things first and business tips to be beneficial for you guys and i hope you also find the special topics such as do you even climb um interesting enough to to listen in on and of course if you always as always if you want to please leave a voice recording to me a voice message that way i'll include some of those tips and tricks that you guys are implementing some of the things that you found to be practical and functional and uh, you know if you want to make a donation to to help support the podcast and help me keep it going please feel free to do so however i i don't want you to feel like i'm trying to make you feel obligated to it um the donations do help me keep this podcast up and do reviews and even hopefully in the future attend some events so that um, i can review the events and talk about interesting things that i have found at the events and um you know we'll we'll talk about that kind of stuff as time goes on and any and every support that you give me i appreciate tremendously so thank you and i hope to see you guys in the next episode bye